It is Monday, February 1st. We are heading to the Super Bowl this week. If you are not excited, if you are not stoked, if you are not all jacked up right now, there's something wrong with you, or you just don't like football, in which case there is something wrong with you anyways. Chuck Zod and Mark Schofield here. While I did just give you a big market tease about our Super Bowl coverage that's coming up this week, today we're still going to look backwards a little bit, fully recapping the Senior Bowl, both the practices and game from uh, the last week here. And so I do want to welcome in my co-host, Mark Schofield. Mark, you made it back uh, safe and sound from Mobile. I did, as did you, my friend. It was a good week. Um, a lot of great stuff to talk about, a lot of great stuff that went on that week during uh, practices down in Mobile, even after the practices, some some kind of behind-the-scenes stuff that you and I got exposed to the first time, um, first time covering something like this in person. So it was a great time, and looking forward to talking about it just a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, I got to say, just in general, uh, it was an outstanding week. I had never been down to Mobile before, never been down to the Senior Bowl before, and for me, uh, was just a really good experience just to you know really be exposed to what the week is and understand uh, a lot of how it works and what actually goes on there. I think for a lot of folks, the Senior Bowl, it kind of takes on this uh, mythic quality where it's, oh, there's the Senior Bowl going on and the only way that I can actually hear about anything is to, uh, you know, maybe these drips and drabs come out, but it's real actually and, and it's a great event. I, you know, I have nothing but the utmost respect for the folks that put it on. Phil Savage did an absolutely outstanding job. Uh, and, and I think in general, Town of Mobile as well, uh, phenomenal place and, and definitely looking forward to getting back there a year from now already. Oh, definitely. Um, we could talk a lot, you know, about the, uh, maybe the end of this one about some of the spots to eat. We got some, some restaurant recommendations for the people. Yeah, we, we got some good ones, but let's, uh, let's dig into the football here. And obviously, we talked a little bit in our podcast on Friday about some of the prospects uh, that had stood out to us, but let's dig in a little bit deeper. Obviously, we had, uh, you know, I think it was close to, what was it, 80, 80 guys down there in total? Just about, yep. And, and so when we start to look at some of the other guys that are out there, who, who are some of the guys uh, that stood out that maybe we didn't touch on fully on Friday? Well, one of the guys that we didn't talk about on that Friday edition, who I think definitely not only improved his draft stock, but probably is now in a position to say that he's going to get drafted. That's Kevin Byard, a uh, safety, free safety type from Middle Tennessee, uh, 5'11", 217. He can play down in the box a little bit. He can play that free safety role as well during the um, Wednesday practice um, for the South squad. He was playing the free safety role during team drills and um, the offense ran sort of a sale concept with a vertical route and then a crossing route from the other side of the field. And Jacoby Brissett tried to throw that deep vertical route along the sideline and Bayard made a play from the middle of the field, rotating over to you know pick it off. Um, so he's a guy that I think probably made himself some money this week, turned some heads. So that's uh, one guy that stood out to me. Were you impressed at all by the quality of the tight ends down there? I looked along there and, and I didn't see anyone that really stood out that, you know, especially in, in the modern game, that hybrid tight end wide receiver, even just, you know, your big tight ends that are now, you know, 6'7", 260, 270 pounds. There wasn't anyone down there to me that stood out either as a, a blocker necessarily or in the receiving game there. It seemed to be the one position where I came away a little bit underwhelmed. It's not to say that you won't see guys that get drafted because you know teams will always take tight ends even just to build depth. But I came away saying 
there's not a ton that was there this week that really impressed me a lot. Now, I think one guy that made a name for himself was Nick Vanett, the tight end from Ohio State, playing for the North squad, measured in at 6'6", 260, um, did some nice things during the week in the passing game. He caught a nice seam route from Carson Wentz in the game itself. A guy that I was excited to see up close in person was Henry, Henry Krieger Kobold, the tight end from Iowa, also on the North squad, but doesn't seem to operate well in space. Like He's a guy that might be able to post up on stick routes and curl routes and things like that, but doesn't seem to be a lot more to his game than that. I think overall tight end was kind of a weak position and it's since it's been pretty de-emphasized in a lot of offenses and some schools even go, you know, with 10 personnel and don't even use a tight end sometimes. It's hard to really find a guy that is going to do a, you know, a lot of great things in, in the collegiate game. I find it so interesting that, you know, you mentioned that a lot of teams are moving away from uh, using tight ends at that level, when at the pro level, there seems to really be this premium for tight ends uh, that are athletic and have that ability uh, to really shape a passing game there. You talk about some of the guys that are out there right now, obviously, Rob Gronkowski, the big one, but Tyler Eifer, Travis Kelsey, there's, there, you're seeing this development, and I think a lot of it was probably spurred by, you know, Tony Gonzalez 15 years ago kind of changing the game in that facet. Now you're seeing a lot of kids who probably grew up watching him. But as you said, the college game differs, and this is one area where you don't necessarily see those guys as often as you'd like to heading into the pro game. Right, I think that's right. And something that might stick out from this week of practices, and we've talked about him a ton, but we can talk about him a little more, is Dan Vitale, the kid from Northwestern, sort of that fullback, H-back type of hybrid role. I mean, you might see a guy like him lining up a tight end in the, for an NFL team next year just to try to take advantage of how he can beat linebackers in coverage. He can, he's quick enough to move away from safeties in one-on-one situations. So maybe that's kind of how it develops as these guys find sort of roles for themselves during a senior bowl week or during a combine or pro day type environment. A team can look at that up close and say, you know what? You know, Northwestern did X, Y, and Z with him. That's fine and all. We can bring him into our system, use him sort of as a tight end, get him in these same sort of one-on-one matchups that he's shown to us this week during practice. He can beat these guys in these situations, and we can use him that way. Yeah, and and so maybe he's a guy that does fit more in that, uh, not necessarily the the bigger tight end mold, but certainly we saw him in the passing game, and I came away very impressed there. Another guy uh, that came in that impressed me in the passing game, and this is you know small guy, he's going to definitely be a slot receiver. I don't anticipate him uh, being a high pick here, but I saw some things in terms of quickness, body control, and catching ability that did impress me, and that's Ed Egan, uh, who came in late. He was a late addition there coming in from Northwestern State and both in the passing game just showed some good quickness uh, on some short routes coming out of the slot as well as some potential uh, on special teams uh, in punt return drills showed some good lateral ability there and good uh, you know situational awareness so for me he's a guy that look he's probably not going to end up as a high pick because obviously I think his size limits what he can do to a certain extent Uh, but he's a guy that I think has the ability when you talk about just the raw athletic talent uh, to play in the NFL here I think you're probably going to have some people saying oh well he could be you know the next Julian Edelman or the next Wes Welker I think it's probably too early to say that but you know he's a guy that does have a long developmental path probably but I think showed that he can flash the skills necessary to play at the next level. 
Yeah, he came into town for I think Thursday was the only day of practice he got, and we were watching him along with another of uh, other you know football writers, and we started pretty much making the jokes. Oh my gosh, somebody's going to totally write that next Julian Edelman comparison. And I kid you not, I was scrolling through Twitter today. And a couple of different people who weren't down there in Mobile were making that comparison. Haven't haven't watched the Senior Bowl itself. Yeah, and it's it, look, it's it's easy to try to make that comparison because he's a small guy. He's coming in, uh, you know, you know, to the Senior Bowl late here. He's got you know that quickness. He doesn't have uh, you know the big frame or anything like that. But I think obviously you know there's very few guys that end up uh, you know at the at a level that Julian Edelman is at at that size, just because it's so hard to do. It's, you know, we talk about and we uh, we did, uh, you know, we, the, the, the series on Matt Miller's draft rules and talking about how the exception is the exception for a reason. Look, Julian Edelman is the exception. Most guys at that size are not able to make a difference in the pro game. And so this is a guy for anyone to say that he could be that kind of player. It's way too early because even Julian Edelman didn't become Julian Edelman until four or five years into the league. There was a a long developmental curve that included the fact that because he's a smaller guy, he spent a lot of time injured the first three or four years as well. Yeah, and the other thing to consider, and it's something we talk about a lot, is scheme, fit, landing spot. Those all play a role. I mean, if this kid we're talking about, Egan, if he lands on, say, New England, they might be able to find a role for him given the kind of offense that they play. But if he lands in a you know on a team like Arizona that you know favors a vertical passing game with a lot of deep routes, well, that's not his game. Like he wins with like quickness and speed underneath. So it all really comes down to where a kid like this ends up, the kind of offense they'll be using, and whether they really have a role that's suited to his skill set. Yeah, exactly. So it's you know he was someone that I think impressed me from the standpoint that I I had seen almost nothing on him coming in. In fact, we didn't even know he was going to be down there. Uh, but he's a guy that I think showed that he at least has the physical tools to warrant a deeper look in this year's draft. And so that's that's something that I think to watch uh, you know over the next few months here as we head up to the draft. Who else? Uh, any anyone else that uh, we haven't touched on yet? Well, there's a game and a name that kind of fits into the same sort of discussion we're having right now and that's eric striker the linebacker from oklahoma yeah he came in measured at six feet even about 223 he's kind of one of these almost tweener guys where might be a little bit you know sort of undersized to play linebacker at the nfl level might be a little bit too big to you know convert to a safety he's a guy that you know talking to people down there they don't really see a role for him on an NFL roster or on an NFL defense. Um, you know, you got a chance to watch him. We got a chance to see him play this week. He's definitely a, an athletic kid that, you know, made some plays at the collegiate level. He was a great defender against the run, against the option and stuff like that. But, you know, p- trying to project him forward, I'm not sure where he fits in in an NFL defense. No, exactly. And he's, you know, you talk about him and it's, it's, he's one of those guys where you say, Look, he's you know a couple inches shorter than you'd like ideally. He's twenty pounds lighter than you'd like ideally. And there's some teams, and when we talk about you know the draft and how teams go about filling out their boards and filling out you know how they're trying to rank guys. Look, there's some teams that just because he lacks the weight and he lacks the proper height, they're going to write him off just because it's how they operate. And it, it's not wrong. It's not right. It's just how they go about their business. There's other teams that say, you know what, he's not perfect but can we find a way to scheme and and make this work for what he is 
Right. And, you know, it, it's interesting. There's another guy, you, you just touched about it on the measurables, that sort of almost disqualifying, like, might get him removed from draft boards. And that's Brandon Allen, the quarterback from Arkansas, who I had freely admitted before we went down to Mobile in a piece that I had put up on Inside the Pylon about what I was going to, you know, look for. I hadn't done any film work on Allen before I went down there. So I was a blank slate. And, before we got down into town, it came out that his hand size was under nine inches. And that's pretty much a non-starter for a lot of NFL teams. I mean, you can go back, you can look at the data on it, and not too many, if any, decent NFL quarterbacks have hands that small. So when, it's kind of an issue. When we're, when we're talking about it in terms of a quarterback, is it more of a ball security issue or just being able to control the football you need to, the way you need to at the pro It's level? mostly a ball security issue. I mean, by way of comparison, I mean, my hand size was just about Allen's basically um, in that, you know, 8.5 range, 8.5 inch range or so. And, you know, I had issues with the ball playing in weather, playing in, you know, rainy conditions, wet conditions, sometimes windy conditions when the ball is a little slick or you need to control it a little bit better. I mean, one of the things that stood up about Allen watching him this week um, and he let's, we could preface this with he played very well in the game itself. Like he played fairly well. But in practice, he just looked uncertain at times. There were times when they were running team drills and he was almost afraid to throw the ball down the field. There was one team session where he tucked in and ran it a couple of times rather than throwing the football. You'd like to see the guy at least take a shot there on you know, on a practice session because you wonder if he's not going to do it now, will he do it during the game? And even in one of those, he was basically running in space and just dropped and fumbled the football. Yeah. So and- it, it's, a, it's an issue now. Like it'll take him off some boards. Will it remove him from all you know draft boards for all thirty-two teams? Probably not. But he's probably a guy that now you're looking at, you know, maybe seventh round, maybe undrafted free agent type that you know will have to really impress and turn some heads next summer to stick around on an NFL roster. Yeah, exactly. So, and I know he had been a guy that a lot of people had questions about heading into this week. I want to do a uh, quick little bit just on uh, specialists here. Uh, I've talked at length this week about Ross Martin already, and in fact, uh, with uh, his performance in uh, the weekend game, the first kickoff going uh, into the end zone made a couple field goals as well. I think he's really solidified himself in my book as the second kicker uh, in this year's draft. But I want to talk about uh, one of the punters that was there at a little bit more length here, and that's uh, the uh, the kid out of Wake Forest, and you know specifically talking Alex Canal here, and he's a guy that. Going into this week, I hadn't seen a ton on him, and I, what I had seen didn't stand out a whole lot. Saw a lot of good directional kicks from him, a little bit stronger leg than I expected as well. Uh, some hang times in the 4-3 to 4-4 four, four range, which isn't perfect. Ideally, you'd like to see that in the 4-5 to 4-7 range, but definitely showed that he has the ability from a directional perspective to compete at the NFL level. And in particular, one of the punters that you have in this year's Super Bowl, Britton Colquitt, is a guy that in terms of his measurables, when you talk hang and distance that he typically ends up with, isn't that far off from what you're seeing out of Canal here. So if he has the ability to move the ball side to side the way he does, you know, Punters in, in the draft tend to uh, go at a little bit more of a premium than kickers. You typically see a few come off the board in the fifth through seventh rounds. He's a guy that I think if I'm a team that has a weak punting game, if I'm a team uh, like the Packers, who I think Tim Maste has had a great career, but I think it's time to move on at this point, You know, maybe you'll look to grab a guy like this on day three at some point saying he's the guy that we're going to bring in here because we saw in some of those playoff games, you know, uh, 
punting is at a premium when you're in those tight games. You need to be able to control field position. I think he's a guy that can do it. I do. Right. And, you know, particularly look at that AFC championship game. And, you know, Colquitt played such a huge role in field position and, you know, keeping Denver sort of ahead of the game field position-wise. One thing I wanted to ask you about, Canal, this kid we're talking about, yeah. he was doing something that you and I had never seen before when he was on the sidelines. No, this 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 was uh, a little bit different. A lot of punters on the sidelines, they're typically doing one of two things. They're walking up and down on one of the lines there, just practicing their drops, just one step forward, drop the ball, make sure it bounces the exact same way every time. Canal went and he, you know, you've got the net set up for uh, kickers to kick into on the sidelines and punters to punt into. And he's punting a soccer ball, which is something I've never seen before because soccer ball is a very different feel from a football, obviously. It's a different shape, it's a different air pressure, it's, it's a very different feel. And, you know, for me at first, I was kind of sitting there, I'm going, you know, why is he doing that? What, what's, what's the point? But, for, for him, for whatever reason, and I don't know what it is, and you know, we've said this before, I've said this before about kickers, look, as long as it works for you, and as long as it gets you to repeat the same mechanics every time, I'm fine with it. If you want, you can kick a beach ball on the sidelines, and as long as it gets your mechanics to where they need to be, go for it. Now, if it starts getting to the point where it's throwing you off for whatever reason, or if you start struggling, that's going to be the first thing I look at, and I say, look, Let's let's pull this out and see if this cleans it up. But at this point, I you know I liked what I saw. He can, he can kick the soccer ball all he wants on the sideline. Works for me. Excellent. Hey, we got time for a couple of quick shout outs. Uh, yeah, we got uh got about thirty seconds left. Hit him. Sweet. How about Saisho Modern Gastropub, man? Outstanding. It's uh. Probably it's one of the more interesting places I've ever eaten. It's uh, down in Mobile, and it is a uh, it's essentially a fusion of Japanese and Southern cuisine. So if that well, sounds crazy, it, it's because it is, but it's it's good. We should at least tell the people what we had. What'd you have? You had the uh, I had the the wagyu steak with the, yep. the mustard greens, which were incredible. You went with the fried chicken, right? Yeah, it was fried chicken, but in this Japanese sauce that was absolutely outstanding. Down. What did there. we get for the appetizer, though? Uh, what did we got? Oh, we got the the veal sweetbreads, didn't we? We did. Yeah. They were, they were tremendous. Prime time. So that was that was very good. Where else did we go to? Uh, we went to Saucy Q's. Uh, Saucy Q's, the barbecue place, which was outstanding as well. If you're ever oh, heading down there. Oh. Yeah, that smoked sausage. Perfect. Unbelievable. Oh, they do a great job there. Overall, I mean, Town of Mobile, it's a fun place. It's a good place. Uh, you know, I, I had an absolute blast there. It was great. It was a great time. And, you know, we, Chuck and I get to meet a lot of, you know, great people in the football media community and, you know, from players to coaches to other writers and stuff. It was a great time. So it was a great week, but now it's time to really get back into it. And we had a long week of Super Bowl coverage ahead, my friend. We certainly do. We're actually coming up uh, tomorrow. We're going to be talking about the Carolina offense, what they're doing on their side of the ball. Thursday, we're going to have the uh, the Denver offense, what they are doing. Friday's going to be a nice special teams day. We're structuring this week almost like a practice here. So it, just like we're just like the teams are practicing for the Super Bowl, we're structuring this week the same way. It's going to be an absolute blast. Wednesday, we've got our regular full-length podcast as well. So we have a jam-packed week here. Really excited about it. It's going to be an absolute party heading up to the Super Bowl. Can't wait to, uh, to get over and uh, do a little bit more work here. But for Chuck Zod and Mark Schofield, we are done for the day. We'll see you tomorrow.